0: Welcome to another episode of Podstream Live. I'm Ross Brandt, he's Michael Kinney, and we're glad to have you with us for episode two. We had a good time yesterday, thought we would come back today and say hello, and also, we made a podcast out of it, so you can find us on Spreaker and Podchaser. We've already been approved on Spotify. It might take a day till we get up there, and we've applied for iTunes and Google Play and all the big ones, so... Uh, if you can't catch the whole show live and you want to listen in audio format, you can check us out again, Spreaker and PodChaser, are a couple places where you can find Pod Stream Live. And with that, Michael, there's a lot of news going on with uh, with video. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm
1: doing well. How are you doing today? I'm good, Michael. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, first, first stories with YouTube. I'm a, you know, I'm a YouTuber. That's sort of my main platform. And so now as a result of the COVID-19 situation, YouTube is having to make some adjustments like we all are. And so what they basically have done or in the process of doing is sending their workforce home, which they should be, you know, safety first. But as a result of that, they're going to be relying more on the AI to sort of do some filtering of the videos. So I'm just going to read a little bit from the, this is the official YouTube creator blog. Sure. And so we have teams at YouTube as well as partner companies that help us support and protect the YouTube community. Um, Our community guidelines enforcement today is based on a combination of people and technology. Machine learning helps detect potentially harmful content and then sends it to human reviewers for assessment. As a result of the new measures we're taking, we will temporarily start relying more on technology to help with some of the work normally done by reviewers. So what this means is automated systems will start removing some content without human review. So they can continue or we can continue to act quickly to remove violative violative content and <laughs> protect our ecosystem while we have workplace protection in place. So basically what they're saying is, um, I I think, I I don't know, I haven't talked to many YouTubers who've had their videos removed yet, but I suspect that a lot of videos are going to start being taken down. And now you can, according to this, review the takedown. So if it says here, if creators think that their content was removed in error, they can appeal the decision and our teams will take a look. However, note that our workforce precautions will also result in delayed appeal reviews. Now, the key thing here, Ross, is that if your videos are taken down or removed, Mm -hmm. you won't receive a strike. Well, That's that's huge.
0: That that is really huge. huge. Now, even though they have human reviewers I guess most of the time, it seems like it's out of the hands of any human being being accountable when somebody does get a strike or does get demonetized. It's a very hard process, I think, to appeal. It, it's not like, okay, this is this person's case and you appeal to them. You, you have a phone call. You state what was going on. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult process with most social networks if you get a strike against you in order to set the, set the record straight. Um, obviously, with AI, more people are going to get dinged because AI doesn't yet necessarily understand all the subtleties of of topics and it's going to see certain topics that are red flagged and uh you know words have multiple meanings and i'm I'm sure there's going to be some some mistakes and and a lot more mistakes made in the beginning of course machine learning gets better over time and i hope it doesn't cost anybody their job as it improves but i think it's good that still you can appeal to human beings and they can take a look at your channel and of course it's great that youtube's doing the right thing and sending its employees home and not creating an environment where the virus can spread so i mean that's the number one most important thing right now for any business any type of content creation is to be safe
1: well there's an additional thing i should just mention from this blog post Um, And it will, I think, reading this, affect uh, discoverability a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll also be more cautious about what content gets promoted, including live streams. Ah. So in some cases, unreviewed content may not be available via search on the homepage or in recommendations. So this is kind of taking a blanket approach. That if it seems to me that if there's any question, if it's questionable at all, it's not going to show up in search. It's not going to show up on the homepage and it's not going to show up in recommendations. And live streams may not be, well, they, there's a possibility they will not be promoted. So that's kind of a big deal.
0: That's a really uh, big deal.
1: Yeah. So I think it's sort of a blanket situation where they have to, you know, they have to do something. And I think they'll fine tune things as things move along. But um, this has interesting implications, uh, not just for regular YouTube creators, but also in terms of COPPA Mm. and that whole situation. I'm not quite sure how this is going to affect that. Right. Will, you know, the children's content be more aggressively filtered? I'm not sure. Um, So, yeah, this is this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few weeks and months.
0: Does it impact you as uh, somebody who regularly creates YouTube content, YouTube-first content, how-to videos, and and videos created specifically for YouTube? Do you change at all your approach? Is there anything you're thinking twice uh, of maybe going over before you, you upload, or is it basically business as usual for you? Well, I think it, it's kind of
1: business as usual, right now, because nobody knows what, you know, the criteria, well, obviously, there's, I think people know what violative content, (laughs) like on the extreme would look like. But it's always that gray area in the middle. How are they filtering? Are they filtering for keywords? Are they looking for words? Are they looking for certain images? Uh, So you never, you're not not sure. For me, personally, I'm just going to continue as I do. And I'll see uh, what happens. But for a lot of creators out there, this is, um, this is serious. I mean, listen, uh, hats off to YouTube. You have to protect your workers. Right, Safety right. first. And, you know, all of this situation, we're all trying to balance things. And this is going to be a balancing act. Now, I think what's a little discouraging maybe for creators is that with all the other things that have been happening with the YouTube platform over the last few months, you know, people are, are adjusting to all these different <laughs> changes. The changes in terms of service, COPPA. All these other things. And now there's this situation, which, you know, they can't really help. But it's just as a creator, it's another sort of hurdle, another hoop that you have to kind of jump through. And, you know, you're not quite sure where the goalposts are. So I think you're going to have to feel this out, you know, as you go.
0: Right, right. And certainly YouTube's become... A little bit more difficult of a platform for the small creator and even some of the large creators who are independent folks and not part of, you know, big networks and big brands and and big media. Uh, Those are the people who built YouTube, but they're not necessarily... uh, I don't want to make assumptions, but it seems like with the way YouTube's going they may not be the priority for the future, necessarily.
1: What do you mean, for the future?
0: Well, I, I think that, that YouTube is making making it harder and harder to get monetized, to get access to certain features. I think they're looking for a lot of produced entertainment from production companies, from big media, from corporations. And sometimes I think there's maybe a view that the... The individual creators more trouble than they're worth. That well, you know, I, there's yeah. there's a lot of issues and there's a lot of a lot of things to have to monitor and stay on top of. And there's issues with advertisers. And at the end of the day, they're an ad selling platform. And going with safer content, vetted content, may be easier than going with uh, a huge number of individual creators uh being the primary force driving driving the views on on YouTube. This is my this is my theory. I don't know yeah, whether it's I think, true no, or not. But I
1: think every social media platform is going through this. Right. Having to navigate this issue. Because monetization ads, you know, it's a business. These are all businesses and they have to make money. And YouTube, it's ads primarily. So they have to they have to try, as every other you know with with varying degrees of effectiveness right protecting and developing the ecosystem in order to grow right it's about growth and yeah there's been some very big big changes in the youtube platform and at least they're being more transparent right not as transparent as they could be <laughs> but more transparent <laughs> about what they're doing because they're being forced to and you know they're trying to adjust like everyone else um, but yeah, this whole situation, it's kind of, it, it's, you know, another kind of nail in the coffin for a lot of creators, mm-hmm. I would imagine, um, uh, because they're going to have videos taken down and, you know, they're not going to know why, you know, maybe it's, it's really over the line, but it, like right. I said, it's that gray area. And if you have to wait for weeks, maybe months, I don't know how long the appeal process will take now. Right. It can be a bit discouraging. Now, my advice would be: don't try and anticipate what the AI is going to, you know, filter right. out. I mean, obviously, if if you're making a certain type of content, you know who you are. Then, well, whatever. But if you're somebody who, you know, has been has a channel, it's growing, it's, your content's, you know, it's good, it's being monetized, you know, no no yellow or red dollar signs. Um, hey. This may be, you know, you may get something out of the blue. You know, a, a video is removed, and you may not know why. And I think that is the interest. The issue too is when these videos are removed by AI. How much detail are you going to get? Are you going to get a reason why it was removed, or right. it's going to be up? Oh, that's sorry, we're removing this, and then you don't know why. Which right? is
0: too often what it happened. What happens on a lot of social platforms? You really yeah. don't know why somebody got dinged, and then they don't know how to even. Fight it because they don't know where to appeal. They don't know, you know, and YouTube has a has a process, but it's just it's it's hard for the average person to. How how does YouTube with that many users? First of all, they can't really provide one on one customer service to everybody. But at the same time, your users are left in a situation where okay, I can't really speak up. (laughs) I can't really defend myself. And, you know, you have the power if you have a big platform to really impact somebody's business, their livelihood, their community, their their, uh, work process. I mean, there's only one YouTube. There's only one Google. There's only one Facebook. Uh, There's only one Twitter. Each of those platforms have... Uh, some of the same but also different features and different reasons why people use them and if you're in business one of those platforms may be a big part of your lifeblood whether it's discovery whether it's community whether it's engagement with your customers to keep them coming back and um so this issue of the whole issue of moderation on social media and and so forth brings up uh, a lot of big picture concerns that go way beyond what's going on with uh, the coronavirus at this time. Yeah.
1: But I think we can both agree, Ross, that this is uh, this is certainly the right move to protect your workforce, right? We'll, we're all going to have to adjust to a lot of changes. Right. But I think it's safety first. And we'll see. I mean, we'll see how this rolls out. We'll see the effects as, as, as the weeks go on. And I'm I'm just hoping that YouTube is somewhat responsive mm-hmm. to adjustments that may need to happen for the creators.
0: Yeah, and first and foremost, they're doing the right thing by protecting exactly. their workers, and that yes. that can be looked at apart from. The bigger picture of moderation on social media and everything this yeah. is a move they had to make in response to worldwide circumstances and congratulations to them for stepping up and doing the right thing and letting technology play a role to try and replicate as best as possible what humans were doing in order to create a safer work environment at their organization
1: I bet the, the uh, engineering department is working overtime <laughs> to tune the AI. And uh, I mean, at the end of this, you know, the AI will be more developed and they, they probably will rely more on AI moving forward. Right. Because they will have developed it. I hope yeah. and adjusted to the feedback from creators, but we'll see, I guess we'll see in the, in the next week. I'm, you know, I'm in touch with a lot of YouTube creators on Twitter and in the community. So When things start to happen, uh, you hear pretty quick.
0: So we'll We'll look forward to an update from you. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe next week. Uh, Let's say a quick hello to our uh, good friend, Gord Eisman, who's a uh, terrific YouTube creator, somebody who's very focused on Camtasia and also does live streaming and interviews and a lot of different things. Uh, Gord has a question. Do you think video editing for video marketing Will be replaced by the AI video creation tools.
1: Is that for you? you? Want me to handle that, Ross?
0: I'll let you take the first shot at it. <laughs> you're uh, you're the no video worry. editing, video creation uh, expert for produced videos. What do you yep. think uh, well, when think it comes to post production?
1: It's already been happening over the last few years, and in, in pretty much every editing uh, video editing application, they have the instant movie feature. Mm-hmm. Where you can just plop in some some images, some video, and it'll just you know it'll cut together a little piece for you, like for your vacation or something else, and, right. it, and it you know makes a video. So that's already been starting. Now it's getting more and more advanced uh, in terms of you know uh, the sophistication of the edits. Right. I don't think though it'll be replaced um, because uh, editing is so much you know, it depends obviously on the piece that you're making, the kind of video you're making, but editing is so reliant on intuition and feel Um, it's very, it's not, it's actually less intellectual and it's more about being able to open yourself up and feel timing and what and emotion really. So, um, you know, in terms of AI, they can sort of mimic, you know, they can look at, they could probably look at a million edited videos and discover the patterns and then mimic those patterns, which would get them pretty close. Whether well, are situations when you're editing where, you know, you, you, you break out the, you break out of the pattern because that's what mm-hmm. the situation calls for. Right. Cause you just right. feel like mm, I need something different here. I need a different type of cut here, or I need to dissolve here, even though it doesn't make sense, but I feel like I need it. So editing is a very emotional and an intuitive uh, process. So I don't know if it will ever replace. I think it'll augment. If you want to make a quick video, right? You know, you have some elements you want to string together and you know, put it up on social media real fast. Well, you've got a bunch of online uh, services that can do that now, which are basically using AI, right? Uh, so
0: I think perhaps, and and I I think TV and movies and all are going to require a human touch for that type of storytelling and that type of creativity, and I, I think. What I'm hearing from you is basically as as an editor, you learn the rules and then you learn where to, and then the genius comes in is where do I break the rule or where do I innovate or go against the grain or do the unexpected that makes the difference between my production and every cookie cutter production, right? So I think that, you know, perhaps much like transcriptions where the AI can transcribe an audio file, and then, you know, you have to go in then afterwards and clean it up and edit it yourself and figure out where the paragraph breaks should be if they need to be, or, you know, they don't always get the right speaker labeled correctly. I mean, I think some of these tools can... Take a small number of clips and put them together for you quickly and maybe add music and this and that. But I think the smart thing, just as we do with our own productions when we're editing, you have to watch it one time through before you you put it up there. And I think this would require watching the video and, and maybe cleaning it up a little bit, making some changes but it may be a quicker time to market in that it gets some of the elements together right away yeah it gets I don't, I don't know I don't know
1: Yeah, it, gets, it, it can be a start yeah, it can get you started um, but this is a trend interestingly enough. I know we have some other stuff to get to right but right It's a trend here I'm seeing online in particular in uh, YouTube videos is is the use of stock video elements like stock footage right um, particularly video and I'm seeing a lot of people using more stock footage in terms of B-roll. But what's interesting I'm seeing is that from for me being, having worked in documentaries for decades and edited so many hours of, of television, mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of people use B-roll not in the best way. Um, there, there I see a lot of B-roll being used that is just tenuously connected to what people are like, what the topic is or what the, <laughs> the person is saying. You know, so you know it, it it doesn't connect tightly to what's being said, and in in documentary, uh, we had a term for that, and we called it visual wallpaper. Mm. So you're just kind of covering over, you know, this section, but the B-roll isn't really reinforcing or really making more clear the the content. I'm starting to see this sort of pattern. When we talk about automated systems, Mm -hmm. it's almost like we're kind of becoming used to that kind of automation, which is weird. So, and so when you, when you watch a a video that's actually been um, crafted to every detail by a human, sometimes it can be very uh, refreshing and uh, it's an interesting balance. I've never used the automation to get me started. Yeah, Um, I start from scratch and, I just, you know, I just brick by brick. But uh, I, I see sort of people getting used to automation. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Right. And so what happens if people become used to automated edits? Will they know any different? I mm-hmm. don't know. Anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I it's agree. like it's like letting AI kind of pick the, the theme music. I mean, sometimes it'll be good enough, but if it's really divorced from the feel of the story and so forth, then then it, the end product is very disjointed, right?
1: Yeah, and it doesn't give you the right feel. Right? And,
0: and Go ahead.
1: Well, I'm just saying, when you're editing and making a video, you should be very intentional, right? There should right. be a goal for what you're doing. And everything, every edit, every clip, every piece of media, every piece of music, every sound effect should be working toward that goal or else get rid of it. Right. And so that's what you're taught um so talking about music and things like that so that those really need a human touch in in the final analysis i think
0: yeah thanks for that question gord we're gonna jump on to our next subject which is tiktok (laughs) are you on tiktok michael
1: (laughs) i am on tiktok are you yeah yeah, i haven't posted anything in forever i think i got on tiktok like four years ago or when it sort of first came out just sort of played around with it um because my uh daughter she was she adopted it very quickly and i i referred to her as the um uh the uh tiktok um our our tiktok (laughs) resident tiktok strategist
0: (laughs) so you're on tiktok like i'm on tiktok you've downloaded the app I, I haven't yeah. even watched any videos yet. I don't I think I have know. Two,
1: I, think I, have two, I think I have one or two TikToks.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So TikTok's in the news, and basically, there's a lot of things going on with TikTok as far as perhaps censoring political opinions and things like that that really doesn't surprise me, <laughs> But what did surprise me is that TikTok seems to be punishing people for not being good looking enough for not having the right uh appearance on camera. So it gets to that a little bit further on in the story, but let me let me break this down a little bit and, and, and work through it. It's it's from Tube Filter and the title of the story is TikTok Moderation Guidelines Show Users Were Punished for political content for being, quote, ugly or, quote, slummy. Uh, And it says in the months since the U.S. government opened an official national security investigation into TikTok and its China-based parent company, ByteDance, TikTok representatives have repeatedly refuted claims that Chinese officials have any influence over how the app moderates content. But internal documents obtained by The Intercept show that users were liable to be permanently banned from TikTok if their live streams contained a range of potentially contentious political content. This included videos endangering national honor and interests and inciting subversion of state powers, posts containing, quote, documents, speeches, images and videos that undermine national unity and also historical events that the Chinese government wasn't uh, thrilled about people referencing. Um, There are newly revealed guidelines, however, also instructed moderators to ban live streamers who are or show pregnant teenagers, show women in bikinis if they aren't swimming, show, quote, defamation, spoofing, or criticism, of the heads of the Eastern and Western countries, end quote, and those who promote competitive apps. These policies are similar to moderation guidelines leaked by The Guardian in September. At the time, TikTok said those guidelines had been retired in May 2019 and that they had at first been created as, quote, a blunt approach to minimizing conflict in TikTok's early days. A uh, TikTok spokesman goes on to talk about how live stream guidelines in question are largely the same or similar to the guidelines The Guardian already reported on last year, which were removed both before The Guardian's reporting and also prior to when the Internet intercept says the document was accessed. Over the past year, we have established trust and safety hubs in the U.S., Dublin, and Singapore, which oversee development and execution of our moderation policies and are headed by industry experts with extensive experience in these areas. Local teams apply community guidelines that we published in January, all aimed at keeping TikTok a place of open self-expression and a safe environment for users and creators alike. Gartner also tells TubeFilter these guidelines were never used for U.S.-based users, only users in other markets, and that they were retired in early 2019. Sounds like a little bit of conflicting uh, messages and mixed messages coming along, uh, but this is where you know it stood out to me because i I expected they were probably censoring stuff on TikTok that wasn't favorable to the government or other governments that they would not want their users to insult. what What was surprising to me was live stream guidelines aren't the only information attained by The Intercept. It also got a hold of documents showing moderators being told to suppress content by, quote, chubby and obese people, too thin people, people with, quote, ugly facial looks, and senior people with too many wrinkles, and users whose filming environments are, quote, slummy with cracked walls or, quote, old and disreputable decorations. Those are a lot of guidelines to give moderators. <laughs> Besides the fact that they're discriminating against people based on looks and based on you know maybe economic status and location and age, they're they're also uh, quite quite the uh, the workflow there for uh, yeah, people moderating.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this, well, you know the TikTok, the optimization of you know TikTok's optimization obviously has. Several data points here <laughs> that they're using <laughs> yes. uh, for their uh, optimizing the platform, uh, but uh, you know, my my thoughts on this may be a little counterintuitive. I think it's you know it's a little dis- it's obviously disturbing and alarming, but TikTok is positioning itself as an entertainment platform, and you know if you think of entertainment, the entertainment industry. I mean, the like the formal, traditional, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of that kind of vetting going on, right? Absolutely. Right? And so it's all about views. It's all about eyeballs. And every platform is going to be optimizing for that. Now, this is kind of a, you know, draconian, heavy-handed way to do it. Um, but I'll tell you something, Ross. With what um, the, the advances in facial recognition going on in China right now, I would not be surprised if they have an, a facial recognition AI that is doing this. Right. That is looking at faces, determining, you know, (laughs) looking at the measurement of features and determining, is this, you know, is this an old person? Is this a young person? Is this a skinny person? Is this a chubby person? And flagging it. I I mean, this is all my speculation, but I would not be surprised if there is an AI that's doing that. Um, but you know, th- this is not a public platform. It's a business. Right. And obviously you should not be discriminating against people in your business, mm-hmm. but, and obviously they were, it seems seems like they were caught, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I guess I'm not terribly shocked and surprised that this was going on, right. That this kind of optimization, if you will, <laughs> uh, it, you know, was, or is, going on but now that you know the cat's out of the bag
0: well we know appearance and and, and youthfulness and and features like that matter in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. there's a reason why most lead singers are considered attractive people right they get they the, the band gets signed the the singer gets signed at least in part because somebody says wow we could put this this man or woman up on a poster and." Uh, a lot of young people will be uh, very thrilled to see that in Times Square, or you know, uh, on 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 their computer or wherever. And and yeah. so there's there's that element, and there's the element of you know, newscasters even have to have a certain look because if they don't, if they're distracting, if their physical appearance distracts, then that becomes the story and takes away from the story, and people tune in to. Enjoy seeing people who are easy on the eyes and things like that. So I get all that. Uh, But those, but but media, as we think of it, like the entertainment, the news business, they're publishers. So they're making editorial decisions on everything and anything. In at least in U.S. law, if you're a platform, not a publisher, then you're not supposed to be exercising editorial <laughs> controls over the country. Not supposed you're, to be. You're supposed to here. be providing a utility. And like I said, that's why they answer with the idea that, hey, whatever happens on the platform happens on, you know, we just, you know, whoever gets the views goes to the front of the line kind of thing. We're not putting our hand on the scale. But clearly right. all these uh, all these platforms, to some extent, are putting their hand on the scale because it's obvious what gets pushed to the front of the line and what gets downplayed. And you know, when there's a, there's a post that's against what would be in the interests of the platform, the platform doesn't seem to have that as a trending topic all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yes. They're not, they're not a, a neutral platform. They're a business, right? right? And they got to make money to survive. And you know, you talk about media, And if you look at places like HBO or really any modern television station, the majority of their content is purchased, right? Right, or contracted. They hardly make their own stuff. So you know they're making decisions about content. You could say, well, they're just a publisher because they're just taking content and putting it on the platform, right? But when you know this, this is a debate that's going to be happening very sooner rather than later with uh, with social media platforms are they a platform or are they a publisher and right. i think it's people are starting to see them as publishers in light of what's happened over the last you know four or five years and th- this is you know this is a reality that's going to be it's going to be a constant battle it's going to be a constant trying to keep platforms honest Right. And always have to remember that they're not really a utility. They're not a public utility. They're a business, and they have a ter- they have terms of service. Right. Which means, here here's our terms. If you agree and you follow them, then you can, you know, you can come on our platform and do. But if you don't, you're gone. But they determine that, right? Right. And uh, I think it's, it, you know, this evolution as those terms of service continue to evolve as a result of people speaking out and things like this where, you know, this kind of stuff is being revealed. Right. But don't ever think that, you know, there's going to be a magic day when all <laughs> platforms are fair and just, you know, they're they're neutral. And no, it's going to be a constant, you're going to be, we're going to have to constantly, you know, keep them honest. And, right. Uh, because again, they're a business and they need to to grow and survive.
0: And of course, they don't want to get regulated, those that are based in the United States. So then there comes in the issue of, they have to adapt a little bit here and there to public sentiment because they don't want politicians going too deep into starting to regulate. Uh, because they have a pretty good situation right now, which is there's not a lot of competition for the big, the big, the big platforms right now. They're yeah. they're dominant like no businesses in human history have ever been. There's never been a, a something like a Google or a Facebook before that has that kind of power to control the information that we receive and and who's visible yeah. and who's not and they could pick winners and losers just based on whatever criteria they want to because you don't have a there's no rival to these to these platforms right now.
1: No, and they got us in because they're free. <laughs> exactly.
0: Right? It was and we genius. Thought, look at
1: what, what we're getting. Look at all the stuff that we're getting. Mm-hmm. And now that you stand back and you see look you know, at all we're giving. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing, but that's the thing, right? At the end of the day, you have to really realize that this is this is a, a, an exchange. Mm-hmm. This is an exchange of value, right? You're getting value from the platform and sharing your message. They're getting value from your content, which they can then monetize. And so, it's a constant negotiation for that value proposition with these social media platforms. And when people aren't getting the value they want and enough people aren't getting the value that they want, they, you know, the, the social media platforms see their bottom line affected and are forced to kind of pivot or adjust. And so it's a constant give and take. It's a relationship. It's an exchange. It's not like a right or, you know, it's not like you're paying for the service in which you have, you know, you have a, that's an exchange too, but you're not, it's not like we're paying for, twitter right right or or you know use twitter or or youtube that'd be a whole different <laughs> situation um, but this is the negotiation this is the 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 relationship that we have to constantly reevaluate and constantly be changing and adjusting to
0: so let me jump ahead to a couple of stories real quick and if there's anything you want to throw in on on these uh just just go ahead Mixer. and... Mixer. Yes. is getting uh, a big update and it includes a new look. And b- basically what's happening with, with Mixer is a lot of small features are being added. I, I don't think that there's any one thing that stands out to me as being, okay, this is something we need to discuss, Um, The article in The Verge says live streaming is taking off, culturally speaking. More people than ever are familiar with the concept, whether that's from Instagram Live and so on and so forth. Mixer, Microsoft's live streaming service, has had a number of high-profile successes lately, signing big streamers with huge audiences, and it's debuting a new look for its homepage and a bunch of new features, to every streamer on the platform with an eye toward growing its community and increasing on-platform discoverability. And the homepage redesign, which rolled out, I believe, yesterday will lean heavily on featured content, think recommended streams of specific games or community events, and it will also provide AI personalized recommendations. There will be an editorial hand in the mix as far as specific features go. Mixer is rolling out auto hosting, higher quality emotes, more control over ad breaks for partners, partner badges on the homepage, and improvements to watching Mixer on Xbox, clip creation, and notification the one that stands out to me michael is auto hosting and that's a feature that twitch has i believe and that's where yep. you give permission to somebody else's channel to basically run on your channel when you're not live and i i think that's that's interesting i think that's uh, a really cool feature and i think it shows the, the impact that twitch has on a lot of developments within live streaming as far as mixer goes. I've streamed there a couple of times, but I can't say that I have a great handle on what's going on there because it's primarily Microsoft's live streaming gaming platform. And I'm not so much on the gaming side of things.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Twitch has, created a lot of features that are now being used by youtube among other people mixer as well now right um well with mixer i mean my my take is mixer was a sort of a boutique live streaming operation you know all for gaming really and um now they're trying to open up their market and grow their market and like so many like live streaming platforms in particular mixer the the real issue is discoverability you know how when you when you go there the user the viewer experience unless you're going there specifically to watch a certain video game or maybe you don't know what you want to watch the the discoverability piece hasn't been very well developed and I think they're trying to they're working on that um i think the hosting the auto hosting is to and 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 ross we should think about who would who would be would we host for our uh, yeah for our thing <laughs> but you know it shows that you know there's something going on there's life, the lights are on, somebody's home so it, right. so it's a, it's a good feature to, to, to you know give you that energy but I you know I don't know it's funny when you said successes of, of signing the the high profile uh, streamers i don't you know I don't know how much of a success that was I mean I, I don't know if that was a success or more of a move to try and grow you know, grow audience and which of course you want to do as a business is grow, grow your audience. Move that perhaps
0: worked or perhaps it didn't work as, as hope. I
1: don't think it, (laughs) from what I've seen, it hasn't worked very well. And so now they're having to look at their platform, I think sort of more holistically, how can we get viewers here? How can we make the viewer experience um, have less friction in terms of finding content that they want to view? And um, I mean, luckily they have, Microsoft, and you know Microsoft has the Xbox, and that whole piece. And I think that piece is going to make a big, take a a more prominent role in Mixer moving forward as they try to figure out how they can grow the platform because it's really challenging out there now with YouTube now upping their live streaming game in terms of game streamers. You know, Twitch has still got the biggest part of the market. Uh, Facebook is coming on big too now and they already have built-in audiences right they have they have legacy audiences that it's easy sort of to move them right to the live streaming content Mixer really doesn't have that kind of legacy audience um, that these other huge platforms have so they're I you know they're trying to open things up and and make the platform more attractive
0: yeah see what happens so uh, one of the things we we want to talk about is eight tips for vid- better video conference calls and see how that matches up against what we talked about yesterday. But I recommend we hold that over till tomorrow, tomorrow. as I need to jump off in nine minutes because I'm All on right. another show. So <laughs> let me uh, bring up one other platform, video platform story and that is Instagram's IGTV reaching out to emerging creators for ad share tests this spring. Um, any thoughts on what's going on with IGTV in general? Um, not a lot to, to get into as far as this, other than just to note that they're looking into ad sharing and partnering, I guess, uh, with, with certain creators.
1: Yeah, so, the, you know, they're, they're trying, to, I, think, I think they're still trying to go after YouTube. And because even the revenue split is, I think, the same or similar. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it's about time. <laughs> I think they should have come up with this earlier, actually closer to when they launched the platform, because there was a lot of hoopla and anticipation around this back in, what was it, 2018? And uh, when they launched and um, it didn't it didn't pan out. And then they got rid of the, the you know, the little icon button on uh, Instagram. And I think Instagram they should be really leaning more into Instagram in terms of moving that audience over and have Mm -hmm. a greater integration and not have like, you know, three clicks to get to uh, IGTV. (laughs) I mean, they're doing it now when you can put the preview in the Instagram feed, which is great, but I think they need to have some tighter integration. We'll see what happens. Um, why, I guess the question is as as a creator, why would you put your effort into IGTV? Um, you know, might feel monetization,
0: it, Yeah, I mean, you might feel it's a more level playing field as people have, you know, now. ten to fifteen years ahead start maybe on YouTube, and you feel like, okay, I don't have to have a big YouTube audience uh, on IGTV. Mm-hmm. I can go right in and you know start fresh. Everybody's sort of trying to build an audience there. Uh, perhaps you're, you create nice, nice stuff in vertical. Maybe that's an art form that you've taken to, uh, and, and so that works there. Or you just have a big Instagram following and once in a while you want to share longer yeah. than a one minute video with people. And I, I will go through stretches where I'll say like, okay, I'm going to put some stuff on, on IGTV. And I do and that'll last for a week or two and then <laughs> I stop and I yeah. there's just so much to do and IGTV sort of rolls off at the at the back end there when you're going through yeah. all your your list of places you need to be visible and and present do you ever think about putting videos that you make for YouTube onto IGTV now that I think within the last year I'm not I forget when it happened but you you can now have horizontal videos because people can turn their phone landscape yeah. the video yep. turns with it and you're watching it just like you're watching a youtube video
1: yeah but i think when, once they did that they got rid of their unique selling proposition right for mm-hmm. one of them and that is vertical so now you're, you can go horizontal okay well that's what youtube does and uh, you know igtv like any platform now mm-hmm. you, you kind of can't go- come at it willy-nilly you have to have a, a, a solid strategy in terms of what you're going to do on this platform. If IGTV, you want to do vertical. Great. Now that they have monetization, I don't know what the requirements are. They're still mm-hmm. kind of in the piloting stage. Who knows if they're going to have the same kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, hurdles as YouTube you need, right. and Facebook as well, where you need a certain, you know, you need to hit certain metrics in order to start monetizing. I, I doubt they're going to just let everybody in um so so you have to but you then you have to have a strategy you have to like i said if you if there's tighter integration with instagram you have a you know you have a strategy that includes instagram where you include igtv into your instagram strategy somehow but you need some kind of strategy and at the end of the day you have to ask yourself what is my goal and is igtv part of my goal or can i achieve my goal using igtv and that's really it um i have put some stuff on there, but for me, I like the, again, the integration with Instagram and thinking around that kind of strategy, I think is, is an interesting uh, proposition.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't think, know. I think also they still haven't gotten search to where YouTube has search. So at least I, when I've gone on Insta on, on IGTV, I've sort of watched whatever they served up to me or skipped yeah. over it to the next one. Whereas when I go on YouTube, the first thing I'm doing is I'm clicking that search bar and yeah. what do I want to learn? What do I want to see? Whose channel haven't I been to lately that I want to check up on? You know, what, what is the the subject that interests me and let's see what kind of content there is on YouTube about it until they get that are able to dig into that area. I just don't think that IGTV is enough in people's path of travels online that they're going, hey, let's uh, let's get together and watch some IGTV. Like, let's let's bring up IGTV and just check the latest videos. No, you get into IGTV when somebody you follow who does a video that's longer than a minute of interest and you want to watch the rest of it, you get into IGTV And then you get fed something else, and you may watch it, or you may just hop right back out. It doesn't quite have that binging addictive quality yet that YouTube has.
1: I mean, I like the interface. I like the—it's snappy. But, you know, uh, again, the integrate—you have Instagram sitting here. Right. Instagram brand. And IGTV, even though it's Instagram TV— you don't make that. A lot of people don't make that connection. It's two separate things, right? And so, and also with Instagram stories and video, you can put in the in the feed. It's like, well, you know, why do I need IGTV, especially when Instagram let you hold down the record button right. and record videos longer than fifteen seconds? Right? They basically knee capped IGTV when they did that, and so now. I think they're scrambling to figure out how do we fit this into the the bigger picture? And I don't know.
0: It would make sense to me if your live streams on Instagram would automatically archive on your IGTV channel. So if you are happy keeping the video, then it automatically goes to your IGTV channel so instead of downloading it to your phone and then maybe uploading a one minute clip or making an IGTV video out of it, it just goes there. And then your next Instagram post, when you're ready, you post the preview to your Instagram feed, your Instagram profile. Uh, you share a link to it on in your story. And now you're getting more integration between the, the two platforms. That's yeah. what I think would be the next. Big play if they take one more shot. At yeah, well, I think that's reviving. a major problem.
1: It's it's like they created a whole new brand when mm-hmm. I don't think they intended to. I think they intended to just extend the fun- functionality already in Instagram, but in the process, they created an entire new brand that people are like IGTV. What's that? And so I think in order for them, I mean, the monetization that's great, but I think moving forward, they need to integrate it more tightly with the Instagram brand. And that may mean mean changing a name or something, or like you said, uh, being able to put your live streams there or, or something like that. But I think that's part of the reason that people, it's like, it's like a separate brand. It's like, Oh great. Another platform that I, you know, (laughs) have to worry (laughs) about and post to and try to figure out. So, well, but I, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I have nothing against it as a platform per se. I just think that the, the, strategy behind it it needs more work
0: no i'm rooting for it to work i i'm very happy to have another place to share videos and to share different types of videos maybe than what i would share on youtube or what i would share through a live stream uh but like you said there's you there's the some audience, work to right?
1: do yeah it's the audience experience too you right. need to be thinking above above all like how are you going to get people there you know how are you going to build an audience and a community there so
0: Well, we are just about out of time for today. So tomorrow we will do the eight tips for better video conference calls. We've got some other cool things to talk about tomorrow that we didn't get to today. So come back and see us tomorrow live at 2 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. The channel is Podstream Live. You can also start to find us on social media using the hashtag Podstream Live as Michael and I will be tweeting and posting from our accounts using hashtag Podstream live and you can find our podcast on Spreaker pod chaser and many more apps to come in the next few weeks. Hopefully we'll pick up our podcast as well, but you can listen to the entire audio replay uh, tonight. Today's episode will be up later today. Michael, it's been a lot of fun uh, doing this again. Day two, I, I guess we'll be back for episode three tomorrow.
1: And uh, maybe we'll, you know, get it right
0: by episode 10. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ross. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to everybody for joining us. We'll see you back here tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. Take care, everybody.